All right, so I'm going to tell you a story starting off. Uh, so once there was a man. Sounds interesting, right? Good story so far. But once there was a man, he was an esteemed mountain climber, and he found himself at the foot of a towering mountain. And at the top was the mountain keeper, who spoke of the glory and the beauty and the wonder that was found at the top with him. It sounded indescribable and unmatched, so this climber decided he would begin his climb to get to the top. And no matter how long it took, no matter how hard it got, he wouldn't stop until he finished the climb. Then he would rest in the beauty of all that awaited him. It was a journey that he hadn't expected, though, filled with obstacles and heartache. And after years and years, he found himself still climbing. Just when he was gaining some ground, he would slip and fall. And then he'd gain some ground, and then he'd slip and fall. But he persisted, and he fought tooth and nail so that he could conquer and scale this mountain. But the longer he climbed, the more rigid and bitter he became. He began to shout down to the place where he started, None of you care as much as I do. Look at me. Look how hard that I'm working to do this. I've worked harder than anyone to scale the mountain. He found pride and temporary joy in knowing that his work was beyond the work of everybody else. But deep down, he also felt hopeless. More years went by and the climber found himself between pride over his hard work, right, boasting in the blood and the sweat and the tears that he had poured out on this journey, but also in feeling despair and hopelessness, that he could never make it. He could never reach the top to rest with the mountain keeper. But then he decided, you know what, I'm going to climb harder. I'm going to climb higher. Harder every day, but still to no avail. He'd gain five steps, then he'd slip back down five more. So he started to feel bitter about this journey, bitter towards the mountain keeper, questioning whether it was really even worth it to put in all that work just to feel inadequate and unaccomplished at the end of the day. So he decides to write a strongly worded letter to the mountain keeper. Anybody ever written a strongly worded letter before? <laughs> so he writes this letter to the mountain keeper and does what one does, attaches it to a bird and sends it up the mountain. And here's what he said. I know you can see me from the top of the peak. I know you see how hard that I've tried just to get to the top to be with you and see all the beauty and rest by your side. But I'm done with the climbing. I've outworked them all. I've been striving and striving, but still constantly fall. I'm tired and weary. It's time that I forfeit. What awaits at the top just might not be worth it. So he sat and waited, angry and bitter, when a letter was dropped by his side. And here's what it said. This is the mountain keeper. Indeed, I have seen all your climbing and striving on your path to meet me. I see you're done trying to work your way up. So now you might finally make it. This mountain cannot be climbed by the greatest of men. Stop whining. There's a ski lift, so take it. <laughs> this is a funny illustration about a serious problem that we fight in the church and in our faith. See, many of us see the law and we see this mountain in front of us that we've got to climb to get to God. The problem is you'll never do it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never climb hard enough to get to the top of that mountain. But the good news of the gospel for us 
is that God has already made a way for us to get there. Let me uncover with you this morning one of the most problematic issues you'll ever face in your faith, which is legalism. Legalism. Or the idea that God's love and favor are conditionally earned based on your good works, your ability to follow the law, and your ability to justify yourself. See, many people listening right now, you might have grown up in a church setting or even in a home that cultivated and nourished legalism. The idea that your good works and your ability to walk that tightrope of doing more good than bad is what earned you love. Some of you guys came in here this morning and you're weary and you're tired because this has been your reality for all of your life. You thought that it was what you did that earned love and favor in the eyes of God. You constantly feel like there's this cosmic scale and your good good deeds have to outweigh the bad so that God will one day accept you. This is the opposite of the gospel. This is the opposite of the gospel. See, your greatest obstacle keeping you from believing the gospel might be self-righteousness. Right? Righteousness that you are working for and trying to earn. This might sound radical to somebody this morning, but maybe you've done well to repent of your sins and your sinfulness, but you need to repent of your own goodness. Because you've been relying on your goodness and your good works to justify you before God. That might be something you need to repent of today. See, it's entirely possible that you've made an idol out of your own good works. You believe the lie that your own goodness can be enough to save you. All your comfort and security is tied up in all that you do. Your boast and your bragging rights come from your own good work instead of your boast being placed in God's work for you. See, we believe this lie that the God we serve, he's out there waiting for us to become righteous so then we can present our righteousness to him and impress him. Instead of your boast being placed in what God has already done for you. See, we no longer have to boast in our best efforts. God has become what we boast in. Many of us look like that uh, man that's climbing the mountain, right? If I can work hard enough, I can get to God. And I'm going to judge everybody else along the way, right? Because look at me. Look at all the good that I've done. Look how impressive my resume is. But this leads to despair and hopelessness and a weary soul because we were never meant to save ourselves and get ourselves to God. Instead, we get there by resting in the finished work of Jesus. We trust in what Jesus has done on our behalf to be our means to get us to God. This idol of self-righteousness is sneaky, right? It creeps in and it looks like a good thing, but self-righteousness leads us to despair and a false sense of security. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, he reminded us how lost we were to ourselves, Right At our best efforts, at our very best, we were lost and dead. Right? Paul says, you were once dead in your sins, hopeless, completely dead. But then he writes, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show you the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by your works so that no one can boast. Salvation has come, but not through your hardest work, not through your best day or your greatest efforts, by grace through faith as a gift from God so that no man can boast. See, the greatest challenge, I think, of Christianity is for us to shift our thinking from works righteousness to gift righteousness. That, hey, no longer do I need to feel like I've got to work hard to earn God's love. It's been gifted to me because of the finished work of Jesus instead. You cannot work hard enough to earn the love and favor of God. It is gifted to you because of the work of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I quote this. If uh, some of my teenagers over here listen to me, I quote this verse probably every time that I preach to them. Uh, But it reminds us that Jesus took on our sin... And then, in exchange, he clothes us in his righteousness. I quote that verse all the time because I think it sums up the gospel. It's that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? This uneven swap that Jesus took on my sin and he clothes me in his righteousness. That means if you are in Christ, when God sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Does that sound too good to be true to anybody? Until it does, you probably don't believe it. The gospel is a too good to be true message. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, took on my sin and clothes me in righteousness. So righteousness is not something I have to work for. Righteousness has been gifted to me. We have this hard wiring in our brain to believe against the gospel. Right? This is so hard for us to believe. What, what do I mean by that? See, the, what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. Grace undeserved. Jesus taking on my sin and in exchange clothing me in righteousness. Not by any works that I have done or anything that I could ever do, but by Jesus' finished work and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection in my place. But we constantly fight a battle in our minds that in some way I still need to work hard to earn it. I've still got to do the work. There's no way God would just gift me his righteousness. I know I've got to earn God's love. No, that's not true. But we constantly fight this battle and revert back to this way of thinking that's works righteousness. See, I love the way that Judah Smith says it. He says, your greatest challenge is not your devotion or your own discipline. Your greatest challenge is to actually believe the gospel. Have you ever felt tired trying to be disciplined enough or to stay true enough to your devotion to God and then you beat yourself up because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Like I can't ever be good enough. He says, your greatest challenge isn't that devotion or your discipline. Your greatest challenge is to actually believe the gospel, that you're called to rest in the finished works of Jesus, 
to constantly believe there is nothing in my own goodness that could ever save me. Right? But instead, there is power in the blood of Jesus spilled to make me clean. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day so we resist the temptation to make our salvation and righteousness once again about my own works and my own efforts and my own ability to climb to God. Instead, we rest in what Jesus already did. We abide in him as our source of righteousness. See, even the best of us at our finest hour, your greatest moment here on this earth, and your best hour, your finest hour, even at our best, we would be doomed if our salvation rested upon our works and our ability to please God. See, Paul knew the dangers of legalism in the early church. He spent a lot of time teaching people this lesson that legalism uh, breeds a dangerous sense of self-confidence in us. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote about how foolish it would be for him to boast in his own accomplishments as the means to God's acceptance. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, and then he reminds us, I'm speaking as a fool here. He's like, I don't actually mean what I'm about to say, but I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? By the way, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked so much harder I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, and I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Sounds like a good life, right? I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Who is weak that I don't also feel weak? Who is led into sin and I don't in inwardly burn? You guys know anybody like this? Like you try to talk about something that's hard in your life and they're like, no, 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 no. You don't even get it. You ever done that? Like you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I only slept like five hours last night. And they jump in all the time and they're like, you got five hours of sleep, lucky? I got three hours of sleep, right? And then somebody else has to like up that and they're like, huh. Must be nice. I didn't sleep at all last night. Right? And nobody can just like let anybody like right feel the pain of life. Right? Have you ever been like, man, I worked a 12-hour shift, I'm exhausted. And then here comes that guy, he's like, I worked 80 hours yesterday. <laughs> 80 hours a day. You ain't worked a day in your life. Right? I knew those people all the time growing up. You couldn't say anything because somebody was going to one-up you. Right? And that's kind of how Paul sounds here. Right? You think you've carried your cross? You think you've got a lot to brag about? You don't know anything. You're counting your stats? Look at my track record. This is Christian Hall of Fame stats right here. But Paul keeps acknowledging that this mindset is foolish. 
Right? He did this again in Philippians after he continues to list more and more accomplishments. But then he writes this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my ability to do good, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. See, Paul understood the dangers of making an idol of your own accomplishments. Right? And we would do well to listen here. That, hey, there's this sneaky idol of self-righteousness and boasting in ourselves instead of boasting in God. Right? There's a danger in making an idol of your own accomplishments, your own merits, your own goodness. But my own goodness is not what I boast in. I boast in what Christ did on my behalf. God is my boast. Right? Paul lists again all the reasons he could have confidence in his own flesh. He lists it all out. All the impressive accolades and accomplishments. And he says, you can have my resume, and then you know what you can do? You can put it in the trash can. All of my greatest works, let me list them out for you. I can set fire to it. I can throw it in the trash. Count it all as garbage, because even at my best, I could never do enough to justify myself. Right? I brought some... Uh, awards and trophies here today. These are not actually impressive things that I've done, so uh, I'm not showing off at all. Uh, one of these is a participation trophy for a race that I, I don't know how I survived. Um, one of these actually is a first place, uh, but I was the only person in my age group, so uh, I'm not going to stand up here and brag about this. And this is a fantasy baseball trophy, so uh, yeah, I've not done anything actually impressive here. But I just want to illustrate, this is what Paul is saying here, right? He's like, hey, look what I've done. Look at my awards here, okay? You see everything that I've done? Look at my resume. Look at all my trophies. And here's what he says. Count it as trash. Award, trash. Another award, trash. Count it as garbage, as my friends on Call of Duty say. Trash, 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 trash. They say it all the time. But this is what Paul is saying. You can count it all as garbage. It means nothing because at the end of the day, none of those things could justify me. See, all my goodness is counted as garbage because what Christ did is so much better. See, Paul says, I used to look in the mirror and my own jaw just dropped. Man, I liked what I was seeing. I was so impressive. But now I look in the mirror and I say, wow, my God is impressive. That he could save a desperate sinner like me. Now I want to turn things to you for a second. Right? Some of you might have your own little mental list. You've probably got your resume on hand, right? Ready to show people just how impressive you are. Maybe not. But you might have a little mental list, your own stats that you've accumulated that you 
kind of believe justify yourself. It might be this. Well, I've been to church every week for 30 years, right? Or I taught Sunday school all my adult life. I gave my tithes every month, and I didn't say a cuss word. I never smoked a cigarette. And God, if you checked my social media bio, it would say God first with that little purple cross emoji. Pretty impressive, right? See, it sounds like a joke, but we actually believe that these kind of things justify us before God. Can you imagine going to the gates of heaven and being like, God, 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 hey, uh, you never heard me say a cuss word, did you? Be like, what? Like, dude, that's not why you're here, right? You could never do enough. You could never follow the law good enough to justify yourself. You are so obsessed with your own accomplishments that you haven't put your boast in the one who is better. Until you consider all your goodness to be trash and Jesus' finished work to be your treasure, you've yet to believe the gospel. That I no longer boast in myself. God is my boast. I can have the most impressive list of works and accomplishments, but if I'm relying on those things to justify me, I've missed the point. Because none of those works, even the best of them, can get me to God. None of them can do what I need. I can climb as hard as I want, but I'll never make it. Here's all my trophies, all my medals, everything on my resume. It can go in the trash can. It's only the finished work of Jesus that bridges me back to the Father. So I boast in Jesus. I boast in his finished works and not in my own. See, Paul was thankful for his own weakness. He said it in 2 Corinthians 12, if, if you continue reading, I will boast only in my weakness, boasting in my shortcomings, because in my weakness, the strength and glory of God is magnified. I'm boasting in what he has done for me. One thing I love about this idea of gift righteousness, right? One of the beautiful things about gift righteousness, that it, it doesn't matter what we've done, it matters what Christ did, putting our faith in Jesus. One of the beautiful things about this is heaven is going to look a lot different than you might think. Like seriously, there, we're going to be in for a rude awakening when we see heaven. Many, Because many of the most righteous looking people, right, you probably have somebody in your head right now that's like, man, they just carry themselves like so upright and it feels like they never do anything wrong Man, uh, mo most of those people the most righteous looking people that you ever saw walk the earth may not be there because they believed it was their own good works and their own goodness that made them clean that's hard for some of us to hear see this was the problem with the pharisees Jesus told them, yes, on the outside you look clean and neat and polished, but you are like a whitewashed tomb that appears beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. Full of dead man's bones. Right? Jesus spoke to these Pharisees. He says, you've got your walk down. You look perfect to everyone around you. You look neat. You look polished. Everything looks great. You can't save yourself. On the inside, you're full of death see if we could see the scandalous and diverse table in heaven of those gathered with jesus it would blow us away because our self-righteousness has convinced us we know who's good enough to be saved and we know who isn't 
Because even for other people, we're basing it off of their works and not what they've put their faith and trust in. The same thing happened when the Pharisees saw Jesus' dinner party. Right? They show up and Jesus is dining with tax collectors and, and sinners. And they thought his company was weird. And Jesus says, no, your idea of the kingdom of God is weird. This is the norm. Right? A table full of people who acknowledge they're sick and need a doctor while you walk around deceived by your self-righteousness. Unaware that you're just as sick with sin as they are and just in need of a savior. See, spiritually speaking, there are two kinds of people, right? There are sinners who know they need grace, and there are sinners who don't know that they need grace. There are the the weak and the hurting who know they need a healer, they need a doctor. And there are those who are so deceived by how they can present themselves on the outside that they never acknowledge they have a sin sickness within them as well, and they need grace. I love, uh, maybe you've seen this sermon clip before from uh, Alistair Begg. He talks about the thief on the cross next to Jesus who cried out for salvation. And when he gets to heaven, he doesn't know how to explain his being there except to say this. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. Right? He kind of creates this joke situation where this guy shows up and they're like, like in heaven, like, well, what was your view on this kind of theology? And uh, uh, what, what do you think about this? And the guy's like, dude, I don't know what to tell you, except the man on the middle cross said that I could come. What an awesome understanding of salvation. That, hey, it's not because of anything I did. It's all about what Jesus did for me. Like Paul said in Ephesians, it's by God's grace that we're saved so that no man could boast. We all are on level ground, needing new life because it's God's work not anything that we could do that saves us God becomes our boast because we cannot boast in ourselves I want to clarify something real quick we're talking a lot about hey like your good works can't earn you salvation so some of you are like well how do good works fit into this thing like am I supposed to just leave here and be a jerk to people because it doesn't matter no (laughs) Paul wrote in Romans 5, he said, hey, God's grace is so much greater than your sin, but then he goes on to say, should we just continue in sin because God's grace is there? He says, no, God forbid. Right? So I want to clarify this. Should we do good works? Right? Shouldn't we want to do good things and behave well and not be a jerk to people? Yes, of course. Right? We should desire to do good things. The issue is making sure we don't do those things in attempt to earn our salvation. Rather, we do those things as the evidence of our salvation. Right? We do good things not to earn God's love, but because we know and have experienced God's love. James addressed this. He talks about faith and works, and it can be kind of confusing. Right? Maybe you've read through James and you're like, oh my gosh, like this... This is kind of confusing here. Like, I don't really understand what he's saying because James says that a faith without works is dead. But he isn't saying that uh, faith is rooted in your works, but that genuine, real, authentic faith produces good works. I heard it once said that good works are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. Martin Luther said it this way, we are saved by faith alone, right? Right? 
Not by our own works, not by our goodness. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. It is accompanied by uh, good works. Not in efforts to earn anything, but because I have been a recipient of something that has changed me from the inside out. We should have a desire to do good works, but that desire should not come from the lie that we need to earn God's love. Good works should naturally flow from us because I have been a recipient of God's grace. I've been a recipient of God's love, and it changes the way that I'm gracious and loving to other people. The gospel changed my heart. That's why I do good works. God is our boast, not our own works. But when I boast in the cross, it influences my works. When I'm abiding in Jesus as my source of salvation, I become a branch that's attached to the good vine that's going to bear beautiful, good fruits. We need to constantly check our hearts. Ask ourselves, have I made an idol of my own goodness? Have I put this godlike weight on my own good works, thinking that those things can justify me and support the weight of my soul? Are you tired? Maybe you identify with that mountain climber and you're tired and you're weary. It might be time to repent of your own striving to be your own savior. See, it's so easy to fall into this trap of works righteousness instead of accepting righteousness as a gift like the gospel teaches. The most difficult thing you might ever experience in life is actually believing the gospel. Actually believing the gospel. I can't earn my salvation through my own goodness. Jesus' accomplished work on the cross is what I put my boast in. See, believing the gospel demands that our boast be found outside of ourselves in something bigger and something better. And that thing is Jesus and what he did for us. I want to share with you real quick, this last January, I went to a Passion Conference, something we do every year to start the year. I heard Jonathan Pakluda ask this question to thousands and thousands of people. And I want you to be very honest with yourself here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and give me an answer like this, but this is a time to just kind of look inside yourself and answer honestly this question. Here's what he said. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that you'll spend eternity with Jesus? On a scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you that you'll spend eternity with Jesus? Now, when he first asked this, I was like, dude, I feel scarred. Like, I grew up in a church that was always like, if you died tonight, are you going to go to heaven or burn in hell? Right? And it was like really scary and traumatic. So sometimes these bold questions kind of freak me out. Uh, but I want you to a- uh, answer this just in your hearts this morning. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are, are you that you would spend eternity with Jesus? Be honest with yourself. Maybe you're a 1. Maybe you're like, dude, like there's no way. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life looks like. You, you don't know. I, look, you're talking about track records. Mine is terrible. Maybe you're like a 5. You're not really sure, but you're like, maybe there's a chance You know, maybe those scales are tipping back and forth. Maybe you're mostly confident. You would say like an eight or a nine. 
but you don't really think you could say a 10. You're like, man, that might be kind of arrogant of me because, you know, I still mess up all the time. See, if you're saying anything but a 10, you've either not put your faith and trust in Jesus and you know that, or you have and you still don't really believe what the gospel says, that it's not about your works at all. If you're saying like a seven or an eight or a nine, like we, we went back to our hotel room and I remember asking one of the college students, I was like, man, that's a pretty challenging question, right? And, and he was like, yeah, like, you know, I, when he first asked it, I'm thinking like a seven or an eight or something like that. And I'm like, dude, that's not the gospel. Like this kid would say he put his faith and trust in Jesus. But if you're saying a seven, an eight, a nine, you're still considering your works to be part of the saving equation. Like, yeah, I accepted Jesus, but you know, it would be arrogant to say a 10, right? I still mess up sometimes. I'm probably going to mess up again. No, that's not the gospel. Jesus is enough. It isn't faith in Jesus plus the best parts of me that equals my salvation. It's faith in Jesus alone that equals salvation for me. When we say anything but a 10, we're in some way factoring our own works and our own merits into the equation. That is not the gospel. It's not Jesus plus the best parts of me that equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything for me. He paid it all. I don't have to add anything to what Jesus already did. When we say anything but a 10, we're probably factoring in, in some way, our own contributions Right, cheapening what God has already done for us. Saying the cross was awesome, but I don't think the cross was enough. See, I was saved by grace and gifted righteousness, so I don't have to keep trying to pay it back and earn it more. Right? How do you feel when you give somebody a gift? You ever like given somebody a gift and they like keep trying to pay it back all the time? And it's like, dude, this is exhausting. I, I've got to be honest with you, I can be that person sometimes. Where I feel guilty, I'm like, oh, I can't believe they did this thing for me. Like, I feel like I owe them. Like, I'm going to keep doing nice things back. Don't test my politeness, right? I will out-polite you. But when you're the other person and you're like, dude, I just wanted to freely give you this gift. It's exhausting. It's like, dude, stop trying to earn what I freely gave you. This is what we try to do so many times. We're like, yeah, God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for saving me. But I'm going to continue to try to earn it as I go. Right? We're not believing the gospel. It's only the finished work of Jesus that saves us. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can be arrogant about how assured you are, how confident you are that you have an eternal relationship with God because my boast is in Jesus and his work, not in my own. Ask yourself this morning, where does my boast lie? What am I counting on to justify me before God? Is it my works or is it only the works of Jesus? See, it's scary how often we revert back to legalism, our own abilities to be our sense of security, that endless climb that never gets us to the peak. And you're trying to constantly shake yourself out of the chains of sin and work hard enough for it. You can't do it. You can't. See, believing the gospel looks not like work. It looks like surrender and rest. 
We believe this lie that like believing the gospel, it's like, yes, but I've got to work so hard for this thing. Believing the gospel doesn't look like more work. It looks like surrender. It looks like rest. Jesus said, come all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. In me you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Weary ones who have been striving, raise the white flag, rest in what I am freely offering you. We rest in the one who was good enough. We rest in his finished works. Right? This is what separates Christianity from other religions, from the lie of legalism that's deeply embedded in other worldviews that says, I do works and I do my best so that God will love and accept me. Have you ever felt like that? Right? That's the basis for most religions. Now, I, I do good, therefore God accepts me and loves me. I've got to obey, then he'll accept me. See, the gospel flips that over on its head. It says, God has loved me and accepted me, therefore I go and do good. Not to earn his love, but because of the abundance of his great love for me that's changed me. Don't make an idol of your own good works. Don't make an idol of your best qualities and your most noble efforts to earn God. Our boast is best placed in God and what he has done, not in what we have done. I no longer boast in myself. God has become my boast. See, the gospel is all about righteousness granted to us as a gift, not something attainable through our own works. So for some of you this morning, it might be time to repent of sin in your life, and one of those things might be repenting of your own goodness, your own self-righteousness, because you have thought for so long that it's your goodness that's justifying you, and you've re yet to really rest in Jesus. See, the mountain of the law wasn't meant for you to climb. It wasn't meant for you to master it, to conquer it, to scale it. I heard Pastor Ben Stewart say the other day, he said the law was never meant to be the ladder that we climb to God. The law was meant to be a mirror that shows us our brokenness and our need for rescue. When we look at that mountain in front of us and we see God at the top, we're going to feel that temptation to say, I've got to climb my way there. I've got to really earn it. But the gospel says God already made a way for you to get to him. He's already provided that means to get to him. It's through Jesus and his finished works. See, the journey to God isn't for you to carve out and to create. It's a path that's already been paved by Jesus. So I no longer boast in myself. I boast in God and what he has done. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I believe in the room today are some people who are tired, who are weary who found themselves constantly trying to work, to earn God's love, to please God. But I believe you've found yourself hopeless 
in despair because even at your best, it wasn't enough to get to him. I want to ask you this morning, have you been relying on your own goodness to justify you before God? There might be someone in the room today who says, well, I made a decision to follow Jesus a long time ago, but you know, I have been relying on my own goodness, on my own righteousness, on my own good works. I want to implore you today, if you are tired and weary and you you just feel like I can't strive anymore to earn God's love, I want to implore you to raise the white flag. Stop trying to work for God's love. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. To say, I'm done trying to earn God on my own. I'm going to put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to call out to Jesus to be my rescuer, to be my savior, to be the one that justifies me. Maybe you've never made that decision. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to say, I'm done striving. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I believe that his work was enough to rescue me, to save me, to justify me, to earn me a relationship with God. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you today, you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm just going to pray a prayer. The words aren't important. It's not something you have to pray word for word. But you could call out to God from your heart and say something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that what Jesus did on the cross covers my sin. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus, turning from my sin to follow him with my life. I want to ask if you made that decision this morning to follow Jesus. I'm not even going to ask you to put a hand up or, or do anything embarrassing. I just want you to do this. Find a connection card on your pew somewhere in front of you and write on that card, I chose Jesus. And turn it into one of these black boxes on your way out. The pastors here, we would just love to know you made that decision. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to come alongside you and help you on this journey of following Jesus. Everyone 